Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Esteban Rubens. He serves as the global principal for enterprise imaging at Pure Storage, where he's responsible for Pure's solution, strategy, market development, and thought leadership in that area of healthcare. In addition to the traditional areas of enterprise imaging, he focuses on the intersection of artificial intelligence and medical imaging, with the particular emphasis on the role that IT infrastructure plays on both research and translational applications. He has spoken at AI and imaging at the National HIMSS Conference, Regional HIMSS Chapters, AI Med, among other well-known conferences. He's got almost 20 years of experience in the storage industry and 15-plus years experience in healthcare tech. Really looking forward to having a discussion with him here today. And as you guys know, we, we, we sort of took on this new approach. We're going to be telling stories, success stories, and health leader stories. And today, Esteban is our hero of the story. But before we walk through this, I want to just open up the mic to him to uh, welcome him. Welcome, Esteban. Thanks, all. Really great being here. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to get into healthcare, why storage, why flash storage? Tell me more about that. Sure. It's interesting and also somewhat circuitous. I was born in Argentina in a pretty oh, medical okay. family. My father's a cardiologist. My grandfather was a cardiologist, but I was kind of the black sheep in that sense in that I didn't want to be a physician immediately. I was more drawn to science and math. So I ended up getting a scholarship for college in the U.S. and I studied pure math. But that I always had something going on with medicine, so I became basically an EMT in college. We had a volunteer squad, and so that was cool. really a, a great way to do both things. The, the other thing is I've always been a geek. I mean, mostly I'm <laughs> geek first and everything else uh, second. Funny. So I got into startups, even though I lived in you know Vermont and New Hampshire, I got into data storage uh, with a, an Australian company actually that did uh, solid state storage called Platypus Technology. That was my huh. first foray. And uh, that was somewhat coincidental, but that sort of set me up for, for this path uh, where I did storage for a few years with a bunch of startups. Then I went to work for one of the PAX vendors. They were looking for a storage geek to mm -hmm. help them out and their, their customers with storage. Of course, very important to have good storage and, and plan your storage when you're doing PACs and, and DNA and RIS and all the traditional imaging applications in healthcare. And then after quite a few years, I basically came home back to, to storage at Pure, Pure Cold, and I, I just couldn't say no. Pure is an amazing company doing things in a totally different way. It's been a wild ride, and we're just getting started, so it's been pretty awesome. That's brilliant, man. By the way, I have a soft spot for Argentina. I, I've been many, many times. I, I did a stint in, uh, in MedDevice uh, where I was managing Latin America and spent many times in Buenos Aires. Loved it there. What hospital did your uh, folks practice in? I think a lot of public hospitals, private, like they call, you know, sanatorios. Uh, there's yeah. certainly, I can't recall the, all the names, but I, I know yeah, they, there's a bunch of them. They were well, yes. That's awesome, man. Well, look, I love your story. You sort of medical family got into math, 
storage geek, now doing some pretty impressive stuff. I mean, the area of AI and the cloud is something that a lot of people are trying to, to use with imaging. And so tell us about the goal that you guys have been after, some of the problems that you faced to achieve that goal. Yes, starting point is that AI in the form of deep learning, which is kind mm -hmm. of a subset of AI, has been around for a long time, but it's now finally useful because technology makes it useful. So mm -hmm. the algorithms and the math tools were there, but we just didn't have enough computational power really readily available. We didn't have fast storage, we didn't have fast networks. So finally now, in the last, I would say, five or so years, we have GPUs for compute. Basically, so the, the, the stuff that came out for gamers and companies like NVIDIA figured out, yep. well, this is great. We can, this is a perfect fit for, for deep learning, you know, model training. We now have all flash storage, which is what we do. And you have really fast networks. So when a lot of people remember data center networking, they think about one gig, 10 gig, maybe some people get into 40 gig. Well, 100 gigabit per second networking is now fairly commonplace, right? It's not yeah. something that only the big telco carriers use. So we have that amazing intersection of the right technology with these basically very well understood tools that make this kind of research possible, this type of application of, of artificial intelligence. And by the way, just want to say one thing about that term. You know, I really sure. care about terminology. A lot of people, I think, who, who are active in AI prefer to use the term augmented intelligence. And it's I love not, that. yeah, it's, it's not just like choosing a different word to be cute. A lot of people have fears about AI and they're understandable. And certainly we, we have, you know, you had the case of that uh, MIT professor who was saying, you know, we should stop training radiologists because uh, they're, they're going to be replaced by AI. It's ridiculous. Definitely ridiculous. not going to happen. Yeah. I agree with you completely. Yet it feeds some, some fears. So I think it's very important, especially in healthcare, to have this notion that we need technology because healthcare workers, whether physicians, assistants, nurses, whoever, they're all over work. Technologists and imaging around the world, there's a lot of burnout. And even though it might be ironic to say, well, technology, more technology is the answer because burnout, certainly part of the burnout is due to technology. There's a lot of discussion about the HRs and how they treat burnout. Yeah. We don't need to get into that. If you look at AI, it really, especially in imaging, has the potential of alleviating a lot of these very mundane routine tasks that contribute a lot to, to burnout. So back to the idea of augmented intelligence, of the concept is, is this not artificial and it's going to replace you or, or take your, your place in any way. It's to give you superpowers. You know, yeah. superhuman powers so you can do your job better. I, I've heard a lot of really smart people at conferences talk about how a lot of doctors just want to go back to being caregivers, healers, whatever you want to say. There's a lot of discussion about the lost art of the physical examination, especially in the U.S. and many places in Europe, Western Europe. Doctors are not looking at their patients. They're staring at the screens. Anyway, that, that whole thing, right? So that's why augmented intelligence is, is something I prefer to use. Yeah, you um, know what? I do too, man. And, and the bottom line is, I mean, like, Boiling it down to the most simple form. You're writing an email in Gmail if you have Gmail, and now it gives you some, some suggestions. You don't have to take the suggestion. You're still the one writing the email. 
exactly. <laughs> that's basically what, what we're, we got here in the simplest form. And I love that you went there, Esteban, because it is it is an augmentation, not a replacement. So as, as you and, and your firm work to improve outcomes and make business more successful for your customers, tell us about a typical roadblock and, and how do you guys usually come in to, to help? What's the plan to achieve success here? The typical roadblock is that people think this is something that's really hard and, and unattainable. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we hear about AI. It's kind of buzzword. You know, it's like we're so far from doing that. You know, we just like don't even know where to start. You, I mean, many times that people are interested, you know, in, in those yeah. cases, you, you get that. In the bad cases, like that's like number 2,755 on our list of priorities. Like we just don't <laughs> care. And so the first thing to say is you really can't stick your head in the sand, even though we're all too busy. There's no doubt about that, especially in healthcare, not just the reimbursement cuts and budget issues and political uncertainty, especially in the U.S. Totally aware of that. The thing is, this is one of those times in history in which something is happening, whether people like it or not, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, that's kind of the inescapable fact. There are hundreds of companies doing AI in healthcare, a lot of them in imaging. Every major player is going that direction. If you look at a company like Philips, basically they divested everything that wasn't healthcare. They're now a healthcare company and basically a healthcare AI company. So mm -hmm. the other stuff they did is, is gone. So the important thing for the, that I like to, to discuss when people think this is like not even close to being relevant to them is that, first of all, they're sitting on a goldmine of data. Everybody is. Any healthcare institution that has done digital imaging, and that's my focus area for more than a couple of years. And basically in the US, everybody has facts. Everybody's had facts for close to 20 years, 15, whatever yep. the number is. And it's not that I'm talking about the gold mine of data in terms of monetizing it, although that is one of the aspects, but a gold mine in terms of improving outcomes for their own patients. And that is something that really can't be overlooked. And so we, we now have, and it's not just in radiology and cardiology, it's a lot in pathology. You know, there's, there's now this notion of computational pathology in dermatology and ophthalmology. I mean, so many areas of healthcare are now heavily image focused or image centric and have generated images for a long time, whether they are organized in a rational way or not, you know, many times in maybe ophthalmology, they're sort of JPEGs stored in somebody's computer and they're not clinical system. I don't want to bash on them, but you know what I'm saying? Like radiology yeah. is really good at that. So going from that really fact that, that this is happening and that you really shouldn't ignore it, you have to realize that everybody knows what data you have. So we, I personally have talked to a lot of customers, prospects in the U.S., who have been approached by the large tech behemoths, uh, both on the IT side as well as the healthcare side, with offers to maybe you know digitize their whole pathology slide collection for free if only they'll share the data, you know things of that nature. So very important for people to essentially take charge of that and realize what they're sitting on. So that's number one, developing. Uh, some kind of policy around that data, not so data governance, data protection, how that data is going to be used, but most importantly, really having a conversation internally about how that data can benefit their patient population and their physician population, which are huge things that a lot of people don't talk about. So once you start talking about that, it's a little bit easier. And then on top of everything else, we now 
again, going back to the earlier point about the, the tech aspect being mature enough to really support this, you don't need to deploy racks and racks and racks of, of, of very complicated stuff to start doing something with that data, training models. It's all very democratic, which is really, really great. So people start, they build a PC and they add one or two GPUs that you know, maybe they steal from their kid who's a gamer, right? That certainly resonates with me and with a lot of people, you know, <laughs> they have a couple of GPUs lying around the house. And then you can teach yourself uh, data science. There are things out there like Coursera, you know, again, MIT has really great stuff where, where you can learn stuff uh, online and get a really good education. And then the open source movement is a huge part of this because you can also download models and then start training them without having to start from scratch. So this, this uh, really amazing aspect of, of the democratization of AI in general and healthcare in particular is what, what I tend to, to focus on because most people, maybe not most, really, some people are not aware that this is the case and that you can really start small and you choose a problem to solve and you can just go after it. It's not boiling down the ocean, right? And so- Yes. Esteban, how about, and, and I think that's, uh, I think it's a great promise, right, for folks to be able to do. There is, though, a lot of people that aren't as comfortable with that. I'll put myself in that, in that category. I could go and learn how to do these things, but I also have areas of focus that if I go and try to learn something like this, it's going to distract from the areas of focus for the business. So what do you recommend for the leader that wants to action on this, but can't do it on their own? That's a great question. I think imaging, medical imaging in particular, is really a great area for this because we also have a lot of geeks who become radiologists and cardiologists. So mm -hmm. It is, and frankly, I've met, you know, in my 15 plus years of, of being in this medical imaging world, I've met so many radiologists and, and other physicians involved in this world who are, were engineering minors or majors or they into math or they, they, have a, they go to a makerspace. So the advice for the leadership is find the people who are interested because you're going to have them. It's so you're saying there, there are people in your organization today, if you're listening, that are geeks <laughs> and they're going to be interested in this. You just have to find them. Yeah. And, and really it actually is true. It's yeah, funny. It's a good call out. But true. And sometimes I think people get lost in the day-to-day -day grind and maybe, maybe the, the, if we're talking about a hospital, maybe leadership, uh, doesn't know that Dr. XYZ, she was uh, an electrical engineering major or that somebody's uh, out building stuff with uh, Raspberry Pis or Arduinos because it doesn't come up in conversation when you're talking about what's going on with whatever hospital, intra-hospital infection rate right, or right. stuff like that. But again, my point is these people are out there, find them and let them do what they want to do because that can open up amazing opportunities for the whole organization. Love it. Great, great call to action there. And, and so what happens, Esteban, if people don't heed this course? What's the tragic failure? And I, I like the way you're, you're posing that question because it, it's not about doom and gloom, right? Like I can't sell you the, the fire and brimstone, but yeah, it's about 
tragedy. It's about patients not getting help that they could otherwise help. You know, it's about diagnoses being delayed or, or not being delivered as quickly as they can. It's about maybe uh, physicians who get burnt out and, and leave the profession because they just are not doing what they thought they signed up to do. There's just, it's mostly about avoiding bad things that, of course, there are a lot of positive things, right? But in terms of the, the human outcome, it's not doing things that you could have done that would have benefited both your patients and your caregivers, whichever, whatever role they have. And also, certainly, there's a bottom line aspect to this, right? There is money involved. I mean, but certainly, I, I totally get it. We're not, that's not number one. But it's also, especially, again, unfortunately, U.S., it's, it's a big deal. So don't underestimate that aspect, that this is something that can contribute to your bottom line. We have a lot of health organizations in the U.S. who ended up marketing some of this stuff that they created or derive really tangible benefits from doing AI with their data, whatever, whatever it ends up being, you know, it's a very general term, but essentially turning their data from a boat anchor, you know, something that's kind of annoying, especially imaging data. It's like, oh, you know, why are we keeping this 20-year-old chest x-rays? No one cares about. Well, they are incredibly valuable, even if you have a bunch of normal, you know, things with no pathology. So that, that realization that basically data is never cold. Data is always useful particularly to get insights in healthcare, particularly in imaging. So we kind of get to this concept that sometimes, you know, people scoff at this, at this but I think more and more we're seeing that it's, uh, it's being, you know, people are realizing that it's true, that there is no such thing as cold data. Esteban, great illustration here. And what's there to gain? Tell us maybe a, a story of one of your customers or somebody that you know that's been able to leverage this plan that you've given the listeners, right? If find a way to do it on your own, open source, find the technologies to get you there or find the people in your organization to get you there. Give us an example of somebody that has. Yeah, so this is an example, and I'll, I'll keep the names confidential because I sure. talk to anybody uh, about this or done their permission, but this is a, um, a research university in the Midwest, and it's, it's actually not a unique case, where there is a very fascinating collaboration. So it turns out that the chief of radiology informatics was an engineer. The mm -hmm. first training this, this person had was as an engineer. So they now have a collaboration between the medical school, the university hospital that's affiliated with the university, of course, and the school of engineering where they're doing data science within the hospital using tools developed by the data scientists at the school of engineering that then benefit the overall population of that state. Nice. So, and this is, it wasn't a given. Right? Because you, you have a lot of other university hospitals that are affiliated with medical schools and have, those universities have schools of engineering, engineering where they're not doing it because you didn't have the people who said, no, we really should be doing it together. And it also goes back to this kind of old thing now about kind of interdisciplinary studies and, and collaboration, you know, sort of breaking down barriers. You know, why should the medical school not be talking to the school of engineering about data science? And, mm -hmm. and this is also a very interesting point for universities 
because data scientists are in extremely high demand. It's one of these things that maybe not a lot of people are talking about, but in a very fast growing profession, salaries are off the charts because demand uh, far outstrips the uh, supply. And of course, universities can, can do more to get students interested and, and certainly to get students uh, in the medical schools and, and other parts of the university at least aware of data science. So it can become this really virtuous cycle of amplifying what is good about this kind of AI research and uh, helping people with their careers too. Love it. Yeah. And, and again, another example of how using your current resources to get things going is the right way versus hiring out this task and spending tons of money. Great, great example, Esteban. And uh, it's been really interesting to have this talk with you. I mean, if you're a healthcare leader listening to this, thinking about how to get this going, you just need to get it done. You've got some examples today. And, and even so, we, we focused on providers today. But how about healthcare companies, industry, and, and payers? That's, uh, I would say there's almost more activity there. There's hundreds of startups that are doing different AI things with images. The FDA in the US has a specific approval path for AI-based software. So the governments, it's not just in the US, it's Europe, it's China, it's Australia. Everywhere, there is this realization that this is actually a big deal. And um, there's also this, what I've heard at, at some conferences, that these regulators are saying, we're going to approve things based on the science. Uh, we understand that there's a lot of liability issues, but we're leaving that for the legislature to, to figure out. So my takeaway is, they're not trying to stop progress because of liability concerns. That's something that definitely needs to be addressed. And certainly we could talk for hours just about that, but it's happening. So it's, of course, not just startups, although that's very interesting because since probably about 2017, there's been fairly geometric growth in, or even exponential in the funding, private equity and venture capital into uh, companies that, that use AI in healthcare in general, and certainly medical imaging in particular. Now we are into the billions of dollars a quarter of money, you know, private money being invested into these companies. And then all the big established, I think I was saying before, all the big established players that you can think of are either planning or testing or deploying products with some kind of AI. You know, certainly there's all sorts of different things. Uh, in, in radiology, we have things like um, workless prioritization using AI with uh, natural language processing, which is not really pixel analysis. But then we have uh, just straight out uh, second opinion type of uh, information being displayed as overlays where the radiologist can agree or disagree with, with that finding that's provided by the software, but it's also not something that they're forced to do. It's just everywhere. You scratch the surface, you go to RSNA. Right? You know, RSNA until 2016, I think, had no AI to speak of. And then starting 2017, it just boomed. And they started a machine learning showcase that doubled in 2018. And now in 2019, if you've been to RSNA, the hall, a basement of the North Hall at uh, McCormick is going to be for AI companies. The same at HIMSS. You know, you couldn't walk around HIMSS without hitting somebody talking about AI. Just anyway, it could go on and on. But for companies, this is, it's really a re revolution because it's created a whole market segment, really, of, of AI in healthcare. 
Love it. Huge opportunity here, folks. If you're not taking advantage of it, you're missing out. <laughs> Don't miss out. Stefan, really appreciate you sharing the insights that you have and in the work that you do. What closing thought would you leave us with? The first thing is that this is really a global effort. This is not US-based. It's not Europe-based. Uh, there are really interesting papers that have come out in the last few months that show that even if you have a really well-trained deep learning model that helps a lot in some cases, you have to train it with all sorts of data. So if you've trained a model with data within, from the Northeast uh, of the US, it may not be great for rural India or any other pair like that that you can think of. So this is a global effort that everybody should be involved in. There are some voices which I really like, maybe a little optimistic, but that this is something that's really gonna help uh, global cooperation because everybody has a stake in making sure that this is gonna be better. I actually remember meeting a doctor from Senegal at a conference, that, and, and just going back to your earlier question, he trained himself into doing this, and then he started a company in Senegal doing this. So it's uh, really a wonderful thing. and. Uh, yeah, just again, thinking about the patient benefits is uh, amazing. The speed, uh, the increase in speed of, of uh, diagnosis that these technologies allow for is mind-boggling. And also things like avoiding unnecessary biopsies or avoiding the uh, sequencing of a tumor's genome to know if the certain mutation is present when instead you can feed MRI images to an algorithm and get the same answer, but in a fraction of the time with nothing, nothing traumatic. So it's just really, it's, it's amazing. Huge promise. Absolutely. Huge promise. Well, Esteban, uh, really appreciate your time here today. If the listeners wanted to uh, continue the conversation with you, where can they reach out or follow you? I'm on Twitter at Pure Esteban. Uh, LinkedIn is where I do most of my activities and certainly any conference uh, such as RSNA and HIMSS. Uh, and if you go to the Pure Storage uh, Healthcare site, that's another way to find me. Outstanding, Esteban. Hey, listen, just want to uh, give you a big thanks. Appreciate you sharing your story and your passion for AI and healthcare. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 